Our limitations, self-doubt, and limiting beliefs about ourselves. Why do we give them so much power? I'm Simon Caruso, and this is the Limitless Man Podcast, speaking to those who doubted their own doubts and overcame limitations to pursue their very own limitless potential. Hey everyone, welcome to another episode of the Limitless Man Podcast. Today's guest is Ray Everest. Ray is a weightlifting coach and the founder of Future Focus Early Learning Centers, where they're based in New Zealand and expanding uh, very, very well at the moment. He talks about his transition from actually being a school principal to early childhood learning, the reasons behind this, and the way he uses the Thadatiki method which provides emotional and social well-being for kids aged three months up to five years old, getting them ready to enter school. He talks about his move to the Middle East in 2010 and how the culture shock over there shaped his career and also some of the challenges growing up as a kid in New Zealand, enduring some sexual abuse and then later overcoming that through weekly therapy sessions, 45 weeks in a row. He talks about how easy it is to put on a facade when you're going through such issues as well, making this relatable to anyone going through a similar experience. But he also talks about coaching champions. And the conversation starts off with how he actually coached Steph Davies, who was a previous guest on my podcast. And Steph was an Australian Commonwealth Games representative. So just a warning as well, a little bit of colorful language in this podcast. But the conversation kicks off talking about Steph Davies and her champion attitude towards preparing for the Commonwealth Games. Enjoy the podcast, everyone. Yeah, so she moved over to New Zealand, and uh, I, I obviously, I know I coach weightlifting and um, for New Zealand, have coached for New Zealand for a while. And, I, of course, I follow um, all that. And I, I actually watched her. I watched her in the 75s. Um, and then, um, yeah, she came across here. I was like, oh, I actually, I remember actually walking up to her saying, oh, you're Steph Davies. I, I know who you are. You, you're over here. Are you on here on holiday? And she was like, oh, I've met a guy and blah, blah, blah. And, um, yeah, she kind of, so we always talked. Um, I didn't coach her um, initially, but we always talked. I always found her very engaging, very intelligent. Um, and I'm quite a vulnerable guy. I don't mind sharing pieces of myself um, around all that. And um, we just gelled. And, and then a little bit later on, I was privileged to, for her to ask me to coach her for a while. I coached her for a while. And then um, she fell pregnant and um, had a bit of an early tough time with the, in the first trimester kind of caping. So, yeah, look... But we we often talk, and um, both her and her partner Simon are just incredibly driven, um, very intelligent, um, quite real, uh, which is something I really like and value. And yeah, and obviously then she's connected us with us. Yeah. Uh, interesting, cool time though. Like I'll admit, and and I did say that. Like um, when she asked me to coach her, I was very nervous because uh, she was obviously uh, quite a prolific lifter um, and I guess some of my old self came out of a little bit of self-doubt around an imposter and stuff like that. I just remember sharing that with her and she was just so good about it. She's like, oh, look, yeah. yeah, but I didn't think I could ask you and blah, blah. You know, it was such a funny thing in that scenario. So hopefully she comes back to the sport because she's very good at it. Um, but look, we're pretty good friends as it is. Yeah. She's amazing, man. Like, I, I, 
I get gravitated towards people like that, just her drive, yeah. her ambition, her ability to face her own challenges and, yeah. you know, which is inspiring in itself, which is what, this is why I'm doing what I'm doing here, you know? Yeah. Um, yeah. It's, oh, it's just huge grit. Yeah. She's huge grit, you know? Yeah. Um, well, she had to change your leg. I mean, this might not mean much to people, but you generally have a strong leg that you use to put out in front to jerk um, and she had to change your leg and she, she came, she, she hit the same numbers. <laughs> That's just, that shows the measure. Like you could do that to a high level lifter. They wouldn't be able to do it. Well, it'd, be so, like, it'd be like probably changing, you know, you kick with your bowling right. arms. You fucking, if you're you gotta, bowling. Yeah. yeah. Or bowling arm. Yeah, That's so, right. If you're, yeah. So if you bowl your right and I'm like, okay, Hey, your shoulders fucking. Yeah. I'm like, Oh, okay, sweet. I'll bowl my yeah, left. Exactly. <laughs> that, that doesn't happen. Um, yeah. That's what it's like. And yeah, it just shows how she's just, well, it's not only grit. It just shows how, um, she's quite innovative as well. You yeah. know, she thinks through processes and then, um, and then can apply it. Um, yeah. 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 So, no, nah, no, nah, it's a very cool relationship. And obviously, it's, it's connected us. And, and yeah. we're always looking for ways to continue to grow. So that's cool, eh? Yeah, man, it is. And she thought you'd be awesome because obviously, you know, the whole the whole point of this, you know, experience, this podcast is about finding out our own limitless potential yeah. and some of the yeah. challenges that we face and some of the caps we might put on ourselves and then how to actually push through and overcome yeah, that barrier yeah. and then bring ourselves to a, a new level or a new, new level of normal. Yeah. So to speak, yeah, you know, yeah. she said that you've gone through some pretty rough times growing up. Yeah, you know, yeah. Sexual abuse. Um, yeah. From a personal point of view, do you just want to give us a bit of a, a bit of a background? Yeah, and don't get me wrong, I had I had a pretty cool childhood. <laughs> I yeah. like. We grew up in a small town, man. That those are the days you stayed out till the sun went down. Fuck, you just got on your bike and biked around the place. And I had a loaf of bread and a jar of peanut butter and. And we stole fruit from neighbors and, and you you jumped in the water hole or the river and you just fuck we had a great childhood. Um and I, I'm one of three, but I'm much younger than my siblings. And um yeah, it was a real cool time in society where you had no worries about your kids just cruising off all day. Um, yeah. and I'm a pretty social fella, so everything really revolved around my mates. Um we weren't playing cricket. We were playing softball. If we weren't playing softball, you know, we were doing athletics or touch. And in the winter, we were, if we weren't playing rugby, we were playing league. And um, uh, yeah, I was always a pretty full-on sports person as well myself. And but yeah, just other aspects, I guess, and reflection, um, probably how I would run it. And, and don't please get please understand. Like I believe my parents did the best they could. I, I, I truly do. And I know being a parent. Uh, you make wrong decisions and um, yeah so long story short um, there was a there is a there is a story of abuse in there and um, which doesn't bother me now you know when we spoke the other day like I can talk about it like yeah like you, you and I talk about the footy like it just yeah. doesn't fucking just doesn't have an effect on me anymore it had a huge effect on me and probably only really reared its head um, later on in life especially when I used to get the drink in me, um, what used to, and, and Oprah spoke about it. It's not the, it's not the sex. It's, it's the shame. Uh, and yeah. it's the, will people believe me? And that sort of stuff, man, like it, it really read its head. And I remember explaining, actually, I was actually talking about it the other day with um, a young kid down at the gym here. And I said, mate, when I was a, 
what I what happened was when I drink, I was just a dick. I was a dick to my wife. I was just a dick. Like burnt some bridges younger, punched a good mate in the head when I was younger. Um, you know, and he's never really forgiven me, I guess, in some ways. And um, and, and then what I try to do is replace the drinking, and I actually replaced it with CrossFit. And like, and, and I just went hundred and got rid of drinking. I was like, nah, it's drinking, it's drinking. I was still an asshole. <laughs> I still found out I was an asshole. It just manifested in different ways. Yeah, it just yeah. manifested in different <laughs> ways. It was, it was just. Um, you know, came out and, and like I wouldn't go and eat at certain places, and no, I had to get to bed on time, and no, the stre- I've got to do the stretching okay. routine, and it just manifested. I just and and um and when it really came to uh, head was, so I have for, for for the listeners, I have an older son, Cortez. Um, I had him when I was sixteen, um, and and as a result of what went on when I was younger, I was pretty sexually active from a very very young age. Um, while kids were worrying about getting their first kiss, I was trying to do stuff that shouldn't have been happening as a kid. And, um, and yeah, wound up, um, yeah, being a dad. Um, um, Cortez came into the world in 99 in March, and uh, my whole life really changed. I really wanted to be something for Cortez. Um, and um, his mother and I never really got on at all, actually. Um, uh, for his whole life so that's a that's a tough that's yeah writing those notes before man like mm. i actually believe my journey as a teenage dad and 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 seeing your son drive away when you really wanted to be there every day with him is probably harder than the abuse um like that still brings tears to my eyes because that was such a horrible tough time in my life yeah it was because this little soul um, that dare I say wasn't really born out of love um, was born yeah. out of consequence um, I just it was hard and there's a lot of support around mums uh, but not really dads uh, I'd love to write a book on it one day the being, being a teenage dad because oh, man when it's your blood and 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 it was yeah, just horrible times, man. And uh, yeah, it was me being caught up. Um, I was sixteen. It was me being caught up and trying to. And I was pretty good at sports. So I was pretty pretty popular. But I'd get caught up in trying to be a teenager, and then in the weekend I'd be a dad. And, and you know, and it was so hard. And like trying to have a girlfriend was not really a go because you know what sixteen year old girl is going to want to be part of that with a and whether that's right or wrong um in my own psyche and my limits i just was probably too afraid to ask in that space so those sort of normal things that teenagers go through um yeah so yeah i i still think that's probably the toughest when i was doing the reflection through your through your sheet i think that was probably way more tougher and subconsciously i started protecting cortez um uh, like I had my own space where we, you know, I was at university. Um, first, first one of my family to ever go to uni. I was studying teaching. I'm a primary school teacher by trade, uh, but I had my own place a lot of the time. Uh, well, I was always in a situation like I lived in my mate's garage where I could lock doors, and I was very conscious of it, yeah. uh, of trying to protect Cortez. Um, but the 
the when my older so when my oldest daughter was born, uh, she was born in twenty fourteen. Um, yeah, that's when I really started. The anxiety really started to rear its head around the abuse, and and uh, and she I got to a point bro, where I had dropped her off because I did all the dropping off and picking up. Like I'd, she was meant to be there at eight, I'd drop her at ten, and I'd pick her up at one. She was meant to be there till three. I noticed I I couldn't not. I'd go and visit her three or four or five times in that time because I had a gym across the road. And, yeah. Um, and it just it started compounding, and then and then one day where I just couldn't drive away. I was I was I had a full on panic attack. I could not start the car. I couldn't leave. I was like completely sobbing. Um. At that point, my wife was thinking that I was having an affair because I, yeah. I was so removed. Or she she thought I was gay. Um, I was so so far removed from um, from our marriage, and I sought other ways to kind of dull it. But man, I just remember Courtney getting me help, and and yeah, so we're lucky here, bro. And ACC. Um, they will support survivors, victims of sexual abuse, and quite comprehensively. Forty-eight sessions they provide with a trained counsellor, um, and I had a lady, amazing lady called Annette, and um, yeah, forty-five sessions through. Yeah, I, I got with her. Um, I did forty-five sessions, man, raw and anger and 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 fear and oh and then loathe and and then then suddenly just breaking through and like I'm talking to you now it doesn't bother yeah. me but yeah but I went through this almost a, a breakup of what had gone on because it just it just contributed to so much about my abandonment issues huge abandonment issues you know I was always accusing Courtney, oh, you'll leave me. You'll find someone better. You know all that sort of shit, um, which used to, which would surprise a lot of people because the the Ray they know is pretty confident. But I was a very good actor. Um, yeah. So it's a good point, man. Like, I, I love what you just said there because, well, first you spoke about your childhood and how, on the surface, you yeah probably similar to my experience, right? You know, yeah, yeah. You've got your mates. You, you're running a muck yeah. with your mates, right? And yeah. That's what we we perceive as normal. It looks normal. Everything's all fine, and yeah, it can be no different as an adult, mate. You know, when you yeah. get a job or you're in a career or a relationship, if especially with guys, you know, if guys want to hide something, we'll hide it. Yeah, yeah, you know, yeah, really well. You know, so yeah, and but I just got so like skilled at it. You know, um, I had an interesting scenario. Uh, kind of in my when I was about 12, 13 with a friend's sister, and I won't name names because it's still pretty anonymous. Anonymous. Um, basically, something had happened. She'd come home from a party. Something had happened. I didn't really respond how I think she wanted me to respond. Um, and she backed over my bike um, and absolutely bent my bike. Now, we were not very wealthy. Uh, my auntie Kitty had actually bought this yellow Furuno bike from the warehouse. I can I can remember it very clearly. And I had to walk my bike all the way home. 
and I didn't tell anyone about what had happened because this friend was and her and the family was so kind to me like they always took me in and I was always allowed to stay I could they always I remember learning about French toast with them like I was like do you actually bring this in from France like I'd never heard of French toast uh they were just so kind and I felt like I had done something wrong yeah and that was a very big pattern in my life very big pattern I was quick to apologize for things I didn't need to apologize for I was I thought it was just taking ownership when really all it was was just trying to remove the, the conflict and, and, and try it was just easier for me to just be in the wrong than to actually stand up for myself and what I believe um, and, and be brave around some of those aspects and um, I protected others far too much than I protected myself um, in the absolute fear that people would leave me. Um, yeah. That, that's what it was. It was, I was terrified of people leaving, friends, um, you know, uh, family members. Also, I was just terrified of it. I was terrified of it. And then, unfortunately, it would rear its head, you know. Um, yeah. And, and, and drinking and violence and, um, yeah, losing friends, losing family members. Yeah. And there was just no depth for me. It was just, uh, yeah. So a lot mm. of work, man. A lot of work. A lot of work. Um, I'm just grateful for the ACC support here in New Zealand because um, it, it was some very confronting shit, bro. <laughs> how frequent? How frequent were the sessions, Ray? Once a week. You were going every week. week consistently for every what, 40, Thursday, 45 weeks. 45 weeks, bro. All the yeah. way through Christmas, pretty much. Yeah. Um, Thursday mornings. Yeah, we don't have was... we don't have anything like that here, man. We've got I've been through it myself. I believe it was it was 10 sessions at the time where the right. government will subsidize that. Yeah. But then yeah. after that, that's it. So 45 sessions is yeah. So they give you 48. They 48, give you 48. Sorry, 48. Yeah. yeah, they give you 48. So um yeah. And on the 45th, bro, I remember walking in, had my I, Crazily, it was also in a church, which I wasn't very comfortable with. Um, I just, my, my, my grandfather used to terrify me with religion. That's another story in itself. But, yeah. Um, uh, and then you'd go in this back, weird back room, and it was quite isolated. And that wasn't comfortable for me. You know, it actually reminded me of the actual scenario of perpetration. And it was this back, back room, and um, it was, it initially, it was hard. Courtney came to me on the first couple of sessions, and mm. um, but fast forward to the forty fifth session, I remember walking and sit down, and she was like, um, "So, what's on your mind?" And I was like, "I just remember that I'd walk through the door, no weight on me, and I was just like, I think I'm done." Is there is there a, like a, was there a point do you reckon where that happened, or is that yeah. just an accumulative it was, it was like? Just, how you would know, you describe that, like that turning point? You know, when, you know when your nose bleeding, so you're bleeding, and you're, you're trying to block it, and it keeps okay. bleeding, keeps bleeding, yeah. then all of a sudden it just stops, and you're okay. like, oh, okay, oh, I don't need that. Thing. That's what it felt like. It was like I walked in the door, sat down on my usual spot, saw the tissues in the usual space, saw the clock, looked up, saw the saw the, the had the um the stained glass windows, 
and and it she looks at me and she, yeah she, she always starts to say what's on your mind and and I actually just said I it was like it had all gone away and I was just like I don't think I need you anymore and she just closed her diary stood up put her hand out and that was it and that was forty five sessions in yeah that was forty five okay. sessions in yeah and I remember just walking away from that and being like holy shit I feel amazing <laughs> and it just yeah it just and since that oh, i mean i'm a far different person now uh but sheesh i i do remember that kind of weightlessness how long ago was it ray if you don't mind me so asking that, my why? last session my last session with um and that would have been march or april uh 2017 yep yeah yeah, phenomenal, man. Like, yeah. yeah, it's just this, if you've ever completed something, whether it's building a, your kid's Lego or, or yeah. and there's all this pressure on you and then, you know, your frustration and oh, anger and, and then oh, no patience. And then all of a sudden you put the piece on and then it's like, oh, cool. Oh, yeah. Sweet. You know, that's what it was like. Yeah. It's such a fond memory in my head. Um, I couldn't tell you what some of those 45 sessions we spoke about, but that is just such a fond memory, such a fond memory. So yeah, bro, we're lucky here. We're very lucky. A lot of people probably don't know about it. And that's why I often talk about it. That's impressive. About 48 man. Sessions. It's very impressive you know? that that's available. Mm. Yeah. Oh, mate, because the government's recognizing that the scenarios that many kids found themselves in has grave effects on them later on in life, mm. you know, they often go on to become abusers themselves or they lead life of drugs and alcohol and, and substance abuse and things. And I'm, I don't know how I didn't go down that path. Sport was probably a big piece of it. And I was very lucky with some certain people in my life that stepped in at the right time. Um, I'd probably like to say I'm a bit of a tough bastard too, as well. It's probably a good way of saying it. Yeah. Uh, um, but now that the, the what's been replaced from the toughness is the gratitude. It's probably what, what I practice a lot more than being tough and grit. I, I, I'm more grateful and grateful is, is, um, has probably been the biggest lesson coming out of um, getting all the support Yeah, being that gratitude piece. But I'm great. I'm grateful it happened to me because I can tell you, bro, if it had happened to my, well, yeah, but if I think if it had happened to um, one of my siblings, we would have buried him. Yeah, I'm grateful. It ha- I know that sounds fucking weird. Yeah, I'm grateful it happened to me because I had, I had the mental fortitude as an adult to deal with it. And I and don't get me wrong, bro. There were days I fantasized about jumping off our deck. There yeah. were there were days, yeah. dark days. I thought, fuck it, I'd rather just jump off this and I'll be and I'll be happy. But I didn't, uh, and I'm grateful that it happened to me. Because I I know my yeah I'm pretty sure my brother bro I think yeah well I don't know yeah he doesn't even know about this yeah okay because um, because we've got some yeah my brother and I haven't haven't spoken for many years um, eight years actually so um, he kind of thought that I was just um, the young spoiled brat uh, yeah right so I love my brother but uh, but I, I'm glad it happened to me. 
I'm glad it happened to me. And that's such a weird way of looking at it, right? Yeah. Well, you know what, though, man? I mean, obviously, obviously, it's happened to you for a reason. Things do happen for a reason. That's why I thought I like to look at life. Um, yeah. I haven't always felt that way. I haven't always thought that way, but yeah. that's how I look at things. And I think that that lens has served me a lot better than it otherwise yeah. would if I, if I look at it the other way, you know? And, yeah. and not to say that I, I couldn't fathom what you've gone through. I've never. If you haven't experienced it, you don't know, you know. Yeah, but I mean, yeah. um, I can imagine you would have been the therapy part of it. You would have been teaching at the time, yeah. So the, I, I had left teaching. I was um, had it well. I was, I was in a we owned a, we owned a gym at the time, a CrossFit and a weightlifting gym. Um, but I was still heavily involved in education. Um, yeah, so that's why I could get away on Thursday mornings. Um, but yeah. I, even that man, like a lot of the fear around um, talking to people about it for for a long yeah. time about what I was doing, you know. Yeah. Um, I'd park my truck way away and walk all the way up, and you know, initially that's what it looked like because uh, it was right right next to the church was a big kindergarten, and and I was worried that people would, you know, like that was the initial stage, right? Yeah. It's all the shame, all the shame around it. Um, yeah. yeah. My 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 in laws. Well, I loved to death. Um, you know, I was embarrassed to tell them about it. Um, it's just the shame piece, um, you know, because I was like, fuck, oh, they're going to find it. Oh, they won't believe you. Oh, they'll just tell Courtney to, oh, no, you can find someone better than that. Don't waste your time. You know, that's, yeah, it was all tied. It was all tied. Yeah. Um, so, yeah. But then, but then slowly, you know, slowly I started just parking at the kindergarten. Slowly I started just, you know, turning up a bit earlier, going in and reading a book before my appointment. Slowly, yeah. you know, whereas at the start, bro, I was like, if I was 9.30, I was there at 9.29.57, you know, walking in and walking, you know, yeah. almost like I was bloody walking in and out of a brothel or something, you know, yeah. just trying to... Yeah, it's not um, unusual, yeah. I mean, you know, well, basically, you owned it then. So once you owned it, that's what you're yeah. saying. I mean, that's how yeah. I understand it, you know, yeah. like, you're like, well, yeah. it's what it is, this is what I'm doing, and... yeah. Yeah. And, yeah. and did it become a lot easier after that? Yeah, well, I started realising Courtney wasn't going to leave me. Yeah. And I started realising, so Courtney's my wife, and I started realising that I was unpacking a lot of, of stuff that, that should have been unpacked. Um, and, and, yeah, it got easier and easier and easier. Um, but still there were days I was like, whoa. Because, yes, but as it, it went from whoa, anger, pain, sorrow, to, whoa, oh, wow. Wow. Okay, I get that now. Okay, yes, I see why I respond like that. Oh yeah. wow. Okay, I get that. You know that makes sense now. Shit, that is why I do that. Oh wow, that's why that annoys me. That's why I get defensive about that. That's why I lose the plot. You know, went from crying, 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 anger, anger, anger. I don't want to be here. I don't want to be here. To revelation. That yeah. was the cool part of the whole process. I don't. I couldn't tell you when. I couldn't tell you at session sixteen or whatever. But that's what it turned into. It turned yeah. into that. It did I read? Did I read right, right? Because I went onto your business website and had a bit of a look oh, at, yeah. at what you guys do. And we'll get to that in a minute because I want to. Yep. I really want yeah. you to, to explain how you got into it and you transitioned from from teaching. But were you a school principal? Yeah. Yep. So you yep. actually. So you've, you've made it to the top of. Let's be honest. Yeah. My wife's a school teacher. Okay. So yep. she's got no interest in becoming a principal because. Well, A, the responsibility and the role itself, which is completely different from 
that yeah. frontline yeah. classroom yeah. role when you're, yeah. you know, you're yeah. in front of the kids and you're delivering the content, the education on that platform. It's, it's completely different. So you've gone from yeah. you know, the top of the tree, really. And you've yeah. basically the way you, I understand it, the way you explained it to me a couple of weeks ago was you weren't happy with the system. Yeah. Is that right? Like, do you want to just yep. talk about that yeah. and then how so, you transition? And it's a cool – look, there's two sides to this. It was cool. I was a dad at 16. I was a principal at 26. Um, I was a principal after three and a half years of teaching, um, but it was from the wrong place. I was a principal because I was trying to prove people wrong. I was trying to prove to people my worth and value. And I was good. I was good in some aspects. I'm, you know, like some of the – some of the um, some of the substance of me, which is about people potential um, making a place where people feel safe and part of something has always actually existed within me. I was very good at it within a classroom. Um, and then although I had a very small team, it was a small school. Um, we all felt part of something. We, we made some great physical changes to the school. And, and at that time it was a really exciting time in New Zealand education space because they had, the government had come out and said, right, we're giving you a skeleton of a curriculum. You can go and flesh it out. You go and build what you need to build. And we built this amazing curriculum because we were a rural school and we were, we were doing amazing things, tree huts and garden schools and, um, building hand-nuckies and kids were still riding their horses to school and stuff like that. It was amazing. But there was this unquenchable thirst of me trying to be better than everyone else. And I put that above everything. Um, and what happened, I met Courtney, I go, I go to this conference in, in, in London in um, 2008 and Courtney is a Kiwi, but she was on her OE over there. And she was actually um, flatting with one of my best friends, who is now actually a principal. Um, he, he was just here on Thursday night. So so anyway, I meet her, and actually I really fall hard for her. And then, but I came back because I was, I was principal. Uh, I thought, oh, I can't just abandon my job that I've only had for a term. Yeah. So I go, I come back. She comes back later on in the year, and we, we get together, obviously. And then... Um, what happened was, I remember, like, I'd sometimes go to work at 5, I lived on school site, and um, I'd go to work at 5am, and sometimes I'd get back 10, 11 o'clock at night, and I remember getting home one day, bro, and um, Courtney's in bed, my dinner's sitting on the table covered with a tea towel, and, and um, I just remember looking at it, man, and going, what the fuck, I'm doing exactly what my dad did, my dad just worked his ass off the whole time, his whole life, for what? Yeah, you know, because my dad, my mum and dad's marriage dissolved as soon as all the kids left the house. They realised they had nothing in fucking common. <laughs> yeah, right. Yeah, and it was it was a, like I just remember she used to make this avocado chicken salad, <laughs> and that's what was for dinner. And I was looking at this, and I and I went and woke her up, and I just said, "I'm over this. I'm I'm done. I'm done." And she's like, "What?" And I was like, "I said I'm done with the bureaucracy. I'm done with this." I this is what they give me in terms of budgeting, but we've got all these needs and this and stupid. And like, and this is like, okay, well, what are we going to do? And I said, I'm, I'm finished. I, I've, I'm not being a principal anymore. This is not what I envisaged it to be. And the best, and this has always been Courtney. She's just like, okay, what are we going to do next then? You know? Yeah, that's awesome, isn't it? Yeah. So um, she had your back straight away, really. Yeah, yeah. Yeah. And I, mate, 27, nearly 28, walking away from a principal's career 
people thought I was fucking mad. Mm. Like people were like, you're throwing away your career. And I was yeah. like, I don't give a fuck. I can see why. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. yeah. It doesn't make me happy. Yeah. I want to be a great husband. Well, I love Courtney. I said, I want to be a great partner. I do not want to be ships in the night. Um, I, I'm not going to slave over a job and, and something special, which from the top down, they have way more influence than you. It's not really about kids. It's about compliance and I was brave enough to just say, fuck it. I don't, I don't give a fuck. And I often say, I'm glad I found out at 28 instead of finding out, you know, oh. picking up the job at 40 and then, and then realizing, fuck, I hate this. I'm <laughs> telling you, man, like, I mean, I'm in the space <laughs> of teachers. I, I, I see a lot of teachers and um, yeah. a lot of them, and I'm not going to, obviously, I'm not going to name names on here, but yeah, a, a lot of them are fed up with what you just yeah. said. It's just become... It's a bureaucracy, a bureaucracy machine now. It's yeah. um, compliance stuff, things that contradict yeah. compliance measures that contradict teaching methodologies, yeah. things like yeah. that, where, yeah. you know, the method is this thing, but the compliance says they have to meet this sort of requirement, which doesn't, it's not congruent with no. the methodology oh. over here, you know, and oh. there's a lot of that. Fascinating. It's, it's unbelievable. Fascinating. And I listen to it and I know a lot of teachers that, you know, considering changing path like changing career for that reason yeah but they're yeah. they're just worried they're fearful and they don't know what to do because obviously you're you're an exception what you've been able to do is you know unbelievable and we'll get to future focus in a minute and how you started yeah. that but what's the thought process like when you know you want to you're done and you want to transition to something completely different how do you do that like obviously you know you'd be worried about i'm sure you're thinking about the money side of it and your capabilities how you're going to do it where where to start can you like take us through that I don't know who told me this. I suspect it was Mr. Henley Smith, who was a teacher at, of mine at high school. I suspect he told me one time, I'm pretty sure it would have been him, that said, if you're doing good things, money will come. And when you've grown up with fuck all money, money's not really that important unless you're trying to prove to some other people that... And, 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 and so what had happened bro, earlier on in that space is... So I was going to a school in my hometown, Tuhuroa. Um, Rana gets pregnant and it and it goes sour fast. And my mum kicks me out and, and I've ruined their lives and and all sorts of things. And um, anyway, uh, fast forward, I apply for a scholarship at the school called St Paul's, which is in Hamilton. At the time, St Paul's was, if not the, was one of the wealthiest schools in the country, private schools. And I take some documents and I actually, my friend's dad, Kane's dad, uh, um, uh, not Kane's dad, um, anyway, long story short, we get through to an interview and I get selected on a scholarship to go to the school for athletics and rugby. And then I come back, tell mum and dad, I'm off to St. Paul's and they're like, oh, shit, you know. And um, and, and so, I, so I head up to the school. Now, here's me going from a small town, very low socioeconomic town, to the wealthiest school. Like, no shit. One kid I remember, and if he listens to this podcast, you know I'm talking about him, turns up and it's fucking brown Mercedes Benz. Yeah, and I was like, good. what the hell? You know, so so I went from that to, to that. And and I, I did realize, like, yeah, they had a lot of money and stuff, but it never really bothered me because um, I just enjoyed um, other facets of my life. And obviously I was a dad too. 
So that was a crazy thing too. They were like, whoa, here's this guy. He's good at footy, good at athletics and shit. And he's got a kid and he's 17 now. Yeah. You know, like you can imagine what it looked like at a flash swanky private school. Um, so, but in my mind, I'd made my mind up around, nah, that's it. I have to do something because I wanted to be something for Cortez. I wanted to be something for my boy to look up to and not see that his old man was a bloody failure. And I, like I said, Mr. Henry Smith probably said it to me, you know, if you're doing great things, money will come. Yeah. And actually that's what's driven a lot of my, and, and uh, I'll be honest, that has frustrated Courtney a lot. Um, what, why, I always, what? Well, you know, she always thought that maybe I could be charging more or doing more or earning more. Yeah. And I was always like, nah, nah, I'm doing great things. Money will come. Money will come. Yeah. Um, and and I, I, I think that also masked some of the pieces of me believing that I deserved money. Uh, I spoke earlier about that imposter space. Um, a lot of teachers, when you first start teaching, I remember you get to about six or seven weeks of your first year and you're like, what the fuck's going on here? I, these kids are learning nothing. I'm, I'm useless at this job, you know? Yeah, you you yeah. get this crazy imposter syndrome. It's the same in the principalship. I got about seven, eight weeks in and then this, your, your, your conscious is just going, fucking, you are joking. You're taking the piss here, mate. You're not. You're not, you're not a principal, mm. you know. Um, and but because I make my mind up about things pretty fast, and my actions are always pretty quick, I've I've scraped through and almost faked it till I've made it. Yeah. You know? Okay. Yeah. <laughs> so and I, and I've been really good at figuring things out. Yeah. And it just so happens, Courtney's like that. We just we just go getters um, around that sort of stuff. So. Uh, we had a plan. Uh, we moved to the Middle East. I had a friend in um, recruitment. Uh, we, we originally, I said to Courtney, because she'd just come back from overseas. She actually wasn't feeling it back in New Zealand. She was like, she actually missed overseas. I said, well, should we go back overseas? Misses my mate. She sends me some things and says, do you want to go to, we we're talking about Dubai, because that's all we had heard about was Dubai. And then she's like, oh, do you want to interview with the, place, the guy in Qatar? And, I, and I'm like, yeah, sure. Just got on a Skype with him the next day. He said, do you want a job? He said, yeah, yeah, let's go. Yeah. <laughs> you know, we just action, boom, 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 boom. You know, it's just once I set my mind, I, I just get onto it, you know, and I might make six, seven, ten decisions before someone's made one. Yeah, okay. Um, so, and I'm just lucky that Courtney supports my madness in that space. So, yeah. 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 And in that, in that, bro, I said to her, um, oh, look, I've got a job in, in Qatar. And she goes, uh, which we didn't have any idea where, where the Qatar was. Um, and she's like, oh, cool, yep. And I was like, do you want to come? She's like, I'd love to. I said, oh, there's one catch. She's like, what? We've got to get married. <laughs> she's like, oh, is that your proposal? I said, I guess so. Pretty much, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> uh, yeah I love so it, man. That's good. <laughs> I think I'd only met her parents once. Um, and I actually I actually rocked over to John and Trudy's and uh, I remember I still remember it clearly. They were living in Tiamudi down here and um, they had a nice backyard and we were sitting under there and I said, oh, hey, PS guys, I've got a job in Qatar. And they're like, where? And I was like, oh, it's in the Middle East. We showed them a couple of videos and things and they're like, and they're like oh, okay. And um, I said, hey, look, um, Courtney's keen to come across too. And they're like, oh, okay, cool. No, they're all supportive. And I said, oh, look, Guys, there's one catch. I said, um, and I actually said this, I do remember clearly saying this. I said, look, 
I'm always looking for something new and exciting, uh, but I can tell you there's one thing that's a certainty in my life, one thing I'm really sure of is that I want to spend the rest of my life with your daughter. And they were looking at me and I said, look, we've got to get married to go over there, but I'd love to marry your daughter. Yeah. And and they just, like, truly gave me a big hug and tears in her eyes and John shook my hand and we had a very small, we had a very, very small wedding and um, and and then we were off. Like, I think it might, might have been, a, we got married in May 2010 and we left in August 2010 to, yeah. to the Middle East. So, and we'd been awesome. together, uh, together, together, we'd been together about probably five months. <laughs> How long were you there for? <laughs> so we did three and a bit years. Um, we loved it, man. I yeah. loved it. But I wasn't a fan of like London and stuff because it was just Kiwis, Aussies and Sappers in the same place. And, and, and I, it didn't challenge me culturally. Um, also at that time, man, the Arabs had not a good name. You know, there was uh, terrorism factors and, yeah. and then funding and all this stuff. And, and my mum mm. thought I was mad taking Courtney over there. She, you know, they, they blow up bombs and suits and planes and all sorts, you know. And yeah. I was like, I was like, no, nah, fuck it. I'm going to go and figure out and learn, you know, and, and make my own opinions based on experience, not just what I bloody see in the media. That's right. Um, yep. And culturally, bro, big shock. Like the Middle East, man, the, like especially Gulf, Gulf Arabs, they're, they're really interesting people. Um, yeah. The, the wealth is, you, you think of the wealthiest person. I always, you, I always you, think of wealth, wealth, man, when I think of these people, like wealth. Oh. Unbelievable money. Lots wealth. of money, yeah. Yeah, just unbelievable wealth. Um, but when you get to the bottom of them, they're family-orientated, they are humble and private, and if you're lucky enough to get in with, with some locals, they treat you like a brother, and we did some amazing things there. I was teaching at an international school. Courtney, Courtney found an amazing job and career. I saw her grow from strength to strength to strength, considering she went over without a job and she ended up earning um, you know, a lot of money in her own right in terms of finding her own way. And she was just so good. And, um, and yeah, it was just a phenomenal experience. Were, were, we you teaching, were you teaching the whole time there? Yeah, so I was teaching, but the teaching the teaching day is really short there. Well, it's not short; it's it's early, so it's seven thirty start and one o'clock finish, because um, the heat generally, yeah. and you know, so um, and bro, so I tutored, I personal trained, I um, I did some other, I did I did some other. Well, let's talk about it because it's a limitless limitless yeah. podcast, bro. I used to do some work for a shake, and I won't say. Well, sorry for for a shake. For a shake, uh, which is like a uh, chief. Yeah, go on. Yep, yep. Yeah, for the it's for the ruling family, the Alfani yep, yep. family. And if there's a few of my friends who listen to this podcast later on, they'll be laughing. And actually, Jason's one of the boys that he's living with us at the moment. Yeah. Anyway, you can only buy alcohol with this card, and there's only one space to buy alcohol from. Um, it's called QDC, and they control it because it's a Muslim country. They do sell it. You can drink there. Um, pork you can buy from there, all that sort of stuff. And you get a card and it's a license to purchase alcohol. And yeah. it's a it's a certain percentage of your monthly income. Anyway, I was doing some work for the shake. I was, I was actually tutoring his son. And he says, oh, Mr. Ray, can you get alcohol? I said, yep, yep, 
straight. I said, "What well, you having a party?" He said, um, "He said, uh, no, no, no. Uh, we we want to sell it in Saudi Arabia." I said, "Sell the alcohol?" Yeah. I said, "Yeah, I can get some." And he go, and I said, "How much do you want?" He said, "How much can you get?" I was like, uh, "I don't know. I can ask people." So, long story short, bro, I became part of a bootlegging alcohol thing. Yeah, go on. <laughs> we, <yeah>. we would. <laughs> we were. I had. I had. I had a lot of people purchasing alcohol for me. Shake would pay for the alcohol and then pay them the money. So say, for example, I bought 3,000 reals worth of alcohol, which is $1,000. Yeah. He would pay the 3,000 reals and pay me 1,000 and pay me $1,000 for buying the alcohol. But he would sell a bottle of vodka, like a bottle of Smirnoff, which is like, what, 30, 40 bucks. About that, 40 bucks here. Yeah, let's yeah. say. And, yeah. and a weekday in Saudi Arabia, he'd sell it up for, you know, Upwards of one hundred and eighty dollars, wow. and in the week and in the weekend, he yeah. would sell it for double that. And I don't believe it was because he—it was certainly wasn't because he needed the money. I just think because they hate each other, the Qataris and the Saudis, they hate okay. each other. Yeah, and I think it was just this—he was part of the corruption. <laughs> so we would we would get all these people to buy this alcohol. I'd go and buy these old Honda Civics and cars. Would rip all the seats out. Would fill the cars up. Because you had to take normal cars so the police didn't suspect what you were doing. We'd drive them down the Bu Samra, then Sheikh would turn up with a truck, we'd load in front of the Saudi guard. They'll just stand right in front of us, we'd be loading the truck up. And because Sheikh had a diplomatic community, his passport actually says member of the ruling family, he shows them they cannot look at anything. Free he pass. just drove the truck. He just drove the truck straight through the, the border. It's a free and, pass, isn't it? Wow. Yeah. Uh, he, could taken, he, yeah. he could have took guns or anything in there. Yeah. If we talk about limitless man, that was probably one of the more riskiest yeah. times of my life. But we made good money from it. We made yeah. we made some very good money from it. But um when people they still talk about it to this day about that. Like, you know, there was this guy, oh, you should meet this guy, Ray, he's doing this. And um, yeah, it, it was, it, yeah, there was certainly no limits on that space. <laughs> I mean, if we got caught, yeah. I probably would, have got, probably would have got kicked out of the country, but and it was only for a short period of time, but it was fun. <laughs> did, you, did, you, did you profit from it yourself? Would you able yeah, to, yeah. You guess, yeah? So yeah. You right? yeah, 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 we did all right. Yeah, we did all right. Yeah, we did Good. very well. Yeah, did very well. well. If you're going to take a yeah. risk, you might as well make some uh, <laughs> yeah, absolutely. Out of it, as they say, yeah. you know. So. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. <laughs> so, so if I ever have a Wikipedia, you got to. Yeah. It's got to have Ray bootlegged alcohol. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in there. It's got to be in there. Yeah, uh, and two two of the boys that yeah, two of the boys that used to do it for me, they live locally around here with me, and I tell the story, and sometimes people. Would be like, oh, oh, yeah, did he? But then Andre and then would back, and they're like, bro, that's what this guy used to do. So yeah, yeah, some pretty crazy experiences over there. Is um, yeah, certainly a great time of our life. Yeah, <laughs> nah, that's awesome, man. I want to, I want to talk about future focus or ask you about yep. future focus, right? So, yep, you've come back. Obviously, you've come back to Australia at this point. New Zealand. Yep, oh, sorry, yep. New Zealand. Sorry, I'm talking yep. about yeah, yep. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> <laughs> you back in New Zealand, right? And yeah, how did you start it? Like, what well, you yeah. came up concept because this is early childhood education, yeah. Yep, yep, early childhood. So, um, so, so I came. We came back from the Middle East. I actually still had one thing to tick off in my uh, teaching space. I wanted to teach in South Auckland. Yep. South Auckland is 
um, probably regarded as probably the toughest community to teach and live in, but it's bullshit. Um, it's a, a beautiful community. Uh, it, it's full of culture and flavor and, um, and yeah, there's, there's some serious social issues there, serious. Um, but I worked with some of the greatest teachers in my life there. And I still fondly think of my time in Monday Wednesday Media. Um, so I did that for a bit, but I just couldn't get past uh, the government structures. Uh, they had implemented what was called national standards. Yeah. And we basically had to tell kids they were failing, especially in those poor areas, man. Or they're failing. Well, they're failing um, from five years old. And yeah. anyway, Courtney and I had actually had a good discussion about um, opening early childhood centres in kind of 2012, 2013. We'd spoken about it, but we didn't really know how to push play on it. Um, and yeah, fast forward a wee bit, we had the opportunity through Courtney's dad. He has a, a good mate of his is in construction and they're doing a, they're, well, they're developers and they've got a big development here where we live. And at that point, he said to us, he found out my story around education. We were quite set on looking at what early childhood looked like because for me personally, I was like, well, I've taught everywhere else. It's the only place I haven't really taught and interacted at. And we may as well, be, instead of being the ambulance, we may as well go to the other end and try and have a bit of impact there. Um, so I was still coming in with an education lens, whereas Courtney was coming in with a business lens saying, these businesses earn fucking good money. So um, it's a perfect combo with Courtney and I. Yeah. Um, and, and so, yeah, we purchased our first piece of land and then um, we actually managed to get another centre here and couple more. And then, yeah, the, it's been a wild ride, man. What I thought I knew about education um, was completely flipped on its head. Um, what I believed about education has absolutely gone out the fucking window. Um, what way, man? Can you can you give me? Well, so there's two so there's two curriculums. There's a New Zealand. This is the crazy. There's a New Zealand curriculum, which is in the primary schools, and then there is what in in early childhood it's called tefariki. Okay. Uh, which is the cloak, and it talks about weaving things together. The basis of Tefariki is completely emotional and social and social well-being. That's it. That's really all the curriculum. That's if I'm summing it up in a nutshell. It's about emotional and social well-being. That's it. And that There's seems no to make limits. sense to me, man. That makes a lot of well, sense. Yeah. Yeah. yeah man, look at what's going on. And I mean, in our society alone, mm. the highest in the OECD. For suicides. Yeah. And, and reading this document, I was like, why the fuck are we not using this in primary school? Because mm. primary school's got all these benchmarks. That's you right. know, so like at this age, you've got to be at this thing. And at this age, Tefariki's like, right, we get that child from three months until five years old or six. And you get to look after the social emotion and emotional well-being of that child and grow and nurture them in that, in that cognitive growth space. Mm. And then we're like, oh, oh, you're five now. I'll go to school. Now you suddenly, here's your barrier. Boom, 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 boom. And, yeah. and it's just unbelievable how, how polar opposites the curriculums are. Yeah. We're in the same fucking country. And it's funny, isn't it? Like everything's linear at school. You know, there's yeah. everything has to be measured and then there's a test for yeah. that. And it's very robotic-like in a sense yeah. that, you know, you've, you've yeah. got a 
you're going to be at this point at this time. And then, right, once you pass that, then we're going to be at this point at this time. And, you yeah, know, I understand yeah. that they need to try and measure where everyone is seeing on the, you know, on the spectrum, you know, or yeah. in general. But, I mean, yeah, what you're saying makes so much sense about how there's such a difference between what you're doing now yeah. to the emotional part of it, the emotional intelligence side of it, you know? Yeah. My wife would be probably in the top three to five most intelligent people I know, right? Yet she still brings up her experience in school and failing. Yeah. School is the only place where you are judged on levels. Yeah. Like, I don't go to work. And, yes, there's people could argue, oh, well, you get bonuses and, um, you know, maybe you can get yeah. payment. But, but. But, mate, it doesn't make sense to me that we, mm. from five, start fucking judging kids. Yeah. And I've got, I've got no doubts, man, like, like governments must put in place compliance. And that's all it is, right? Yeah. It doesn't – compliance doesn't measure – and I talk about Annette, you know, that yeah. who was my counsellor. Yes, she's got a degree to do what she did, but it's her ability to cast empathy when she needed or Correct. pull, pull – you know, it's all this – Gray that can't be measured. Can't that, measure is it. The, yeah. that is of the that is of the value, and, and and that's what I see in education today. A kid walks in and, and a kid walks into our centres, and our vision's a place to belong. And that's a very current. That's a very big theme in my life, is trying to build something where everyone feels they can walk in and be part of something. Yeah, and because I've come from the background of education. Our teachers know that I'm not there to just collect money. I am with our team every day. Uh, we talk. We get into some great arguments about education, actually, about kids. You know, just yesterday we were talking about a young boys in in foster care in, in a situation of foster care, and we're, and we're arguing about you know, hey, sh- what about this system and how do we get rid of that and how do we take that away and maybe we can just pull some funding from here and maybe we just kind of jimmy the books a wee bit and get them funding. You know, that's the kind of shit we're talking about here. In primary and secondary, you can't do that. There's too many, too many, too much red tape. There's no way to do it because we're being measured on emotional and social well-being. But in primary, they're getting measured on what reading age they're at. It's just, it just doesn't make fucking sense to me. Yeah. And, and it's, I am convincing parents because legally in New Zealand, you can stay till you're six at ECE. You're allowed to stay until you're six. Mate, I convince every parent as much as I can if, if the kid really needs it. Yeah. If they're ready for school, they're ready for school. But honestly, I just say to parents, don't be in a rush. Just stay. Mm. Let them grow up a bit more, especially for young boys. Yeah. Like, just fucking give them, give them, give them some time. Yeah. And 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 don't worry about a reading age and shit like that. They, they'll catch up. They'll catch up. So so that's been our really basis, and, and we're doing really well. We've grown quite rapidly. Um, three years, we've opened three centres. We're building another one right now. We've got quite big aspirations in that space. We want to own 50 centres. Um, we want to own 40 of the 50 buildings. Um, we've got our own financial and wealth goals um, that I'm part of as well now, which I used to not be part of. Yep. Um, my, my business prowess has grown exponentially. Uh, I'm very lucky, Courtney's dad uh, mum and dad have done very well in business Courtney's dad would be one of my best mates and I probably talked to John um, on the phone maybe once or twice a day um, and and Courtney talks to him probably once or twice a day as well and uh, 
but my knowledge and understanding of how business works um, has been has just grown exponentially and we're doing extremely well in the fact that what we have built in a culture uh, of just people potential and finding people that are way better than us at what they do um, and giving them the power to really run that um, is is probably the key to our success. And that's what um, I was going to ask you, mate. Like, I just wanted to, especially from ground zero, when you're starting off, you've got this idea, you've made up your mind, you want to start the, well, you're going to open these centres. Yep, yep. How, how important is it and did you have assistance, someone to guide you through that, someone to reach out to, someone to actually yeah. hold your hand? I know you, you spoke about your father-in-law, but was there yeah, someone else so initially or was it? In terms of all the other stuff, like there are consultants that we utilised and just had a chat to. But once we once we just started hiring, um, and I'm just me, you know, I'm me and, and people would meet us. And, and I'll be honest, the people that came to us, they came because they could hear our passion and vision for what we were going to do. Um, and... You, you can sell a story. You can sell a story of passion, and, but it's follow through, right? Um, be and, congruent. And, yeah. Yep. It's going to come from and, the heart, I reckon. And we're talking about earlier. I said I didn't have any depth. You know, um, people know me, and 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 honestly, some of our centre leaders, uh, they they, we had a couple of staff apply, and um, and they and they're like, oh shit, race pretty full on and 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 they're just like yeah ray is ray ray that's that's you'll know where you stand with ray you know and and they're like he fucking loves passion education he fucking loves it and they're like well, we can tell you know and, and and that's and they're like that's refreshing for an owner and and, and that fucks me off because i'm like well hang on there's fucking hundreds of owners out here yeah and if they've met lots of them and they can't say well shit that's refreshing for an owner they're like fuck so um and we, what we just did is once we got the kind of bones, then we just couldn't. I would just we just ran, you know, and and we made some mistakes, and um, but we've had some great people around us. Eloise, um, who's, who was our original center yeah. leader, she's just she's come from a background of ECE. She had to contend with us because it's not often that the owners stay involved. Normally they're just like, right, here's a person, we'll put this person in place and we'll just tick the ticket as we go along. Whereas Courtney and I were there every day. We were talking, we were arguing. We, Courtney and I would argue about things and Eloise would be in the middle. And um, Yeah, it was a wild ride initially. and But now we're in a real state of flow. Um, we, Courtney and I feel we can take some time for ourselves now. Uh, it's just been school holidays. You know, we've taken the majority of it to be with the kids, um, yeah. which is new um, yeah. and a little bit nerve-wracking for Courtney. But, but yeah, I think a lot of it is part of the theme of today around is just get up off our ass, man, figure it out. You know what, man? There's probably <laughs> there's probably a whole other podcast in just the business side of it, to be yeah, honest. And, yeah, and I'd love yeah. to one day um, do another one and really just focus on – yeah principles, you know and how you yeah. did it and overcoming some of those beliefs you might have had and how that changed as you, as it evolved and the people that you would be able, you were able to associate yourself with and how you attracted the right people yeah. coming come to you and then it all just sort of you know fell into place so i'd love to be able to do that at some point with you man oh man i'd, I'd love to yeah. because I, because I, I love it like yeah um it's it's like courtney and i's hobby yeah, it's, it's fucking 
fun. We we and Courtney and I are early birds. We're all we've got yeah. two daughters. Um, we're 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 early birds. We're up early, yarning about what's going on in the day, and by by nine o'clock we could probably go home and sit on the couch and be proud of what we've already achieved in the mm. day. Where a lot of people either don't or or or, or yeah. can't, uh, um, you know. Um, especially when I came from the world where your your world evolved from nine o'clock to the classroom time till three o'clock, um, and and fuck, I I love that man. That we by nine o'clock we've done most days work for a lot of people I know. Yeah, um, I, I'm so intrigued by it, man, because I'm going through this at the moment. I, I'm going through a transitional time yeah. in my life where I know I know I can see something and I know it's there, you know, and it's just now taking the necessary steps and necessary actions to get there. And um, yeah. that in itself is, yeah, it's, I'm just so curious to understand yeah. more how that works yeah. and other people's experience and learning from them and just working out yeah. how they've done it, you know? So that'd be awesome. Yeah. Yeah. yeah I'd love to. I'd love yeah. to because it is a real area of passion for me, man. Uh, it's yeah. just, but, but again, a lot of those principles that I apply in, in our business world, I apply in my weightlifting coaching. Yeah. A lot of those businesses I apply in my weightlifting coaching, uh, I apply in my marriage. My my actual leadership philosophy is make as little decisions as possible. Yeah. That's that's yeah. my leadership philosophy. And Alan Mulally, um, I don't know if you've heard of Alan Mulally. Alan Mulally was, so he was the first ever um, CEO of a motor company, um, but he was a, a first ever CEO of a motor company that was not a family member. So what was his and name? Was, I'm gonna write this. Yeah, Alan Malali. Alan Malali. M U L L A Y. Malali. Yeah, I have written yep. it down. Yep. No Something worries. Like and I'll, actually, I'll flip you the podcast. Uh, yeah. uh, a really cool clip on YouTube. He's a facilitator, you know. And 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 hearing him speak about, um, so he was an engineer at Boeing. He and then he became CEO of Boeing, and they were obviously killing it. And then. Yeah, he got rung up by the grandson of Henry Ford and basically the, he was like, we want you as CEO. He's like, oh, okay. How are you guys going? He's like, oh, look, I'll be honest, this year we're forecasted to lose $17 billion. And he's like, oh, okay, well, that's not very really good. And, not but good. When, you hear, yeah. <laughs> when you hear his story and his methods and, and things that, I'll be honest, I've been applying for quite a long time, which mm. Courtney struggled with. Courtney was like, She's in action and she's her, her methodology is if you want something done, you got to do it yourself. And if it's not working, work harder. That, that's what Courtney has come from because her father's like that. It's like the only way through it is to work harder. Whereas I'm like, no, I see these people. I see what they bring. I'm going to empower them to take all that, to take yeah. make the decisions. I'm going to give them all the power. And, you know, and all, all I do is, is sit as a facilitator. And Courtney's come a long way with she's she's adapted in, in some ways and I've adapted in some ways. But I get to apply all these principles in my in every day. I do yeah. it as a parent. You know, my girls are like my, my youngest trying to put on her shoes. Now I can just go and put her shoes on. I can. I can do that. And if we're in the rush, then sometimes I do. Yeah. But I take the time to sit back and breathe and help and talk her through it. Yeah. Yeah, it's and interesting. Now she puts her own shoes on. Yeah, we had I had that this morning. It's funny how you bring that up. I sometimes I can't help myself. I jump in, and I know I shouldn't yes. be doing that because I'm robbing my kids the opportunity to be able to figure yeah. something out. Even if it means they're going to make a mess or do something, 
Yeah, I've got to let him go, you know, and, and that's one you've thing I'm, I'm really him, trying yeah. to hold myself together in that situation yeah. and not jump in and yeah. just let him go, let him do it. Yeah, don't rescue them. them. Yep, don't, don't rescue them. them. Yeah. And, and 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 as a teacher, I was like that, and a and a lot of a lot of uh, my colleagues struggled with it because they thought I was lazy because they didn't see me as being active. Yeah. But, but, you know, at Intermediate, in Manudu Intermediate, one of the lowest socioeconomic areas in the country, I was running it like, now that I've looked back on it, um, but I was running it like a business. Yeah. I was like, if you want to come and see me, you have to book in a time, you have to have an agenda about what you're coming to talk to me about. And here were these kids walking around and doing all some work, and, and I'd run it completely different. And, and a lot of my colleagues didn't like it. They were like, I'd be accused of being lazy. Oh, he doesn't teach. He's not. Yet these kids turned up and turned up for themselves. Yeah. yeah. And, and you know, and I've always run classrooms like that, from five-year-olds to, you know, um, we were having in Doha. We had major issues around um, behavior and emotion because it's a melting pot of culture. There's um, nannies are involved. Often parents are too busy or whatever, and and it's an interesting scenario. Like I absolutely. I just explicitly put up um, roles in the classroom. I had leadership, uh, I had leaders, um, supporters, um, characters, and workers. And every day the child would come in and put where they had to be, where they wanted to be in that day. Yeah. And, and, and what it meant is that, say, for example, Courtney, who's quite quiet, every day she normally would walk, walk in and probably put worker. You know, and, and, she was comfortable with that. that. That's yeah, yeah, in her yeah, comfort yeah, zone, yeah. yeah. But then I was like on a Friday, I'm like, hey, Courtney, you've always put worker on there. What is it we need to do to get you to be um, a character? And a character was defined by someone who keeps the mood light in the classroom. This is what we as a classroom decided. Keeps the mood light, bit of jokes. Doesn't Mm. have to do all their work today in this space, just having a light day. And I was like, how do we get... I had Japanese students. They were very hard convinced to come into being characters. That wasn't culturally what they did i think you know i had hazuki this girl and she would just there was no way she could be a character her dad and mum did not expect that yeah and i and i explicitly worked through some of this stuff with them and that's what i do with our with our team i figure out what the hell they're good at i find out what they love and not only to do at school but just in general mm. i fucking and and that's it which once i've found their little zone I just flood it. I just flood Give it. Give it to them. You know? Let them take ownership of it. Give yeah. them the, the responsibility. And yeah. more often than not, they love it. They take it on yeah. board. Yeah. yeah. And the confidence ekes into their weakness areas. Yeah. You can't grow without discomfort, right? Oh, I and agree. Actually, yep. You know, it's, it's just no, it's, there's no growth without discomfort. And, yeah. and, and I just seeing people, kids, five-year-olds, my daughters, my wife, uh, you know, my our, our colleagues, our teammates achieve. Whereas I used to do that because I was too afraid to put myself forward. Yeah. Now I know I play a critical role in that. And I celebrate myself in that. I'm so fucking good at it. Yeah. I'm fucking good at it. And um and it it's it's just so rewarding seeing people kick ass. Yeah. That's it. You know you what, know, man? Um, like, yeah, like I said, we'll. This is another podcast, hundred yeah. percent, man. We're gonna do this. <laughs> yeah. We're gonna do this again yeah, and yeah. focus on yeah, that I'm and, I'm really and the people skills. Well, I'm, I'm just mindful. I'm mindful of the time now, so we're over an hour, right? I just want to yeah, ask yeah. you. I want to ask you one more question, yep. right, before we wrap yep. it up. 
today. Yep. So limitless, right? This is the concept. Yeah. This is something I'm fascinated with. Someone introduced me to the concept that we all have limitless potential. Yeah. Right. Yeah. And yep. I believe that. That's something that I believe in. Yes. You mentioned when I asked you about limitless in the in the questionnaire, you mentioned something about being hyper hyper aware of your own limits or limitations, yeah. and then coming up with like solutions. Yeah. To those limitations. Yeah. Can you just explain that? Like what you mean by that? Yeah. So the hyper awareness, you know, or self-awareness is what it's deemed as. That's the buzzword now, self-awareness. But a hyper-awareness means someone who's hyper-aware of things generally is in a better position to act. I could be self-aware that I'm that I drink too much, but if if I still don't have the desire to change it, then the next day I'll just drink. Yeah. Or, you know, but someone who's hyper aware of things is, in my experience, and especially with myself, they're way more willing to take action. It's like in a car, you're, you're driving cars and you see, a, you see a car coming towards you and you're hyper aware, right? You're like, shit, I'm actually in a position to make decisions now. Yeah. And I believe people who are limitless, they, they see the car crashes coming all the time and they don't, the first time they might veer off or the second time they might break or the third time they might slam into them. It's the ability to slow things down in front of you and make decisions to move, move forward. That becomes the real skill. Yeah. Weightlifting is that. Weightlifting's fast. Our sport's fast. It is over in seconds. And your ability to react comes from being hyper-aware. You know, no one's ever so, explained it to me like that. That is, that's a yeah. great explanation and a really, really cool analogy that you've just yeah. used there. Yeah. Oh, but, but it's also part of the hyper awareness is that you limit what clouds you and you stay in your alleyway. Um, a lot of people in today's society that they're trying to do too much, I believe. And, and, instead of doing things, just doing some things really, really fucking well. Yeah. You know, uh, people like Warren Buffett and all, they all preach this sort of stuff. People are spread too thin. I've spoken about it so many times already today. I did that. I had no depth. I had no depth. But what I've actually called it now, I, I know my alleyway. Yeah. And in a smaller zone, in a smaller zone, I have far greater chance of being more hyper aware around what's going on. That means being able to say no, that's probably one of the major pieces. Oh, yeah, that's a big one. Yeah. You know, being able to say no and feeling comfortable with saying no. Um, so saying, hey, nah, look, I get off, like I get asked to coach people all the time and things or PT them and weightlifting. I'm like, nah, I don't. Why? Oh, I don't do it. I just, I just don't want to do it. You know, oh, um, they might feel uncomfortable. I don't. Um, you know, in terms of our own business, hmm. we don't give a shit about what the ECT centers are doing down the road. We just stay in our own lane. We're just so hyper aware of what we are doing. Um, and, and, but the hyper awareness comes from being deeply honest with yourself. Yeah. Yeah. A lot That's of so true, man. That. Yeah. It's fucking hard, man. It's yeah. fucking hard. When I was standing there fantasizing about jumping off our deck, mm. that's hyper aware. 
not a good place to be, hyper-aware. Yeah. yeah. I was hyper-aware. Yeah. Um, I knew this was the oncoming crash, right? So I had an option. I either jump or I hide. I go and get some fucking help. Yeah. And and at that point, which was quite blurred, um, you know, obviously the decision was made and got help, but, you know, I, I, I feel like a lot of people in their own mental health game, just that hyper awareness of what what's going on, yeah, it's just just not there. Yeah. Self aware, but I don't know what to do. Yeah, yeah, and that's a that's a tough gig. It's a tough gig when you've got so much going on. No, and what they perceive no options is um yeah. So that's that's what I think is going to be and continue to be the cornerstone of our own success. Yeah. Um, and, and again, I'm not talking about success and money and wealth and that shit's nice, but it doesn't fucking matter. I, I'd love doing this. This is probably yeah. far more wealthy for me. Um, yeah. You know, I, I would, like this morning, even though I'd had a few drinks with my mates last night, I got my ass up and went to yeah. the gym and trained. Yeah. And, um, you know, I, even though I filled my cup last night, and t- well, literally as well, but although I filled my cup with my mates last night and had some bloody laughs and, um, and came home and, and sat down with my wife and we watched some shows and cracked up and had a great night. I still get up and get my shit done and and, and, I'm, and those are the sort of successes that we have. And um, yeah, yeah. Oh, yeah. Mate. I, this is the wealth. Yeah. You know what, man? I, I can't thank you enough, man. Like this, I, I get a lot of value out of this. Like it's honestly, no, no worries. It's unbelievable, man. And I, I can't wait to, to get you back on. To yeah, actually have a chat about the the business side. We've got a little visitor here. This hey, is mate. my son Matthias. That's Ray. Hey, say, say hello to Ray. Speaking to the microphone. Say hello, Ray. Hello. <laughs> Hi, Matthias. <laughs> They've been waiting for me to come out. I got I got to be uh, I got to be a father for the rest of the day today. So yeah, yeah. The wife's yeah. going out for the for the day. So yeah, we'll, uh, awesome. The time of the kids and. Yeah, yeah, we'll we'll do all this again, man, for sure. Awesome, but yeah, I'll be keen as these these. I'll be keen as to talk, man. Yeah, I'd love to. Really keen. Yeah, yeah. I'd love to, man. Thank you so much, mate. All right, no and, worries, uh, brother. Yeah, we'll do it all again soon. All right, Simon, wicked bro. Good on you, buddy. Thank you so much for listening, guys. If you got value from this, please give us a like and a subscribe, and also share this with someone who you think may benefit having listened to it as well. I wish you all the very best in chasing what is your own version of your limitless potential.